0: Derek Walker, I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today we're continuing our series on intercession, calling all intercessors, because I believe that God is calling us as never before to pray for our nation, and this is a strategic uh, moment when the destiny of our nation hangs in the balance, and so we've been looking at examples of different intercessors in the Bible, like Daniel, like Moses, and, and others. And today, I want to look at the example of Esther. Esther is a biblical picture of a true intercessor. And so we want to tell her story. I'm sure you know it. She came out of nowhere to be the queen of the great Persian Empire. Uh, This happened when the other queen, Vashti, had uh, disgraced herself by... uh, rebelling against her husband and as a result the king had a beauty contest throughout the empire and and Esther won it and uh, but she kept her Jewish identity a secret but also working behind the scenes that there was God working behind the scenes to put Esther in that position of power but also Satan was working behind the scenes with a plan to completely destroy the Jewish people and it's through Haman who's a type of the Antichrist and he uh, tricked the king into making a decree that all the Jews in the Empire would be killed because they were trouble and uh, the king trusted Haman and went ahead without really thinking about it and as a result this could have led to the total genocide of the Jewish people because all the Jews at that time were within the Persian Empire. Well let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had happened he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried aloud with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the king's gate for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And what was happening here was that they were obviously in great distress, but they were turning to God. God's name is not actually mentioned in the book of Esther, but God's invisible hand is at work in all the different circumstances, and it's through their prayers. And what they're doing here is fasting, weeping, mourning. They are praying. They are interceding for the nation. They're standing on God's word and saying, Lord, you've called and chosen us. You protect us. Save us. And so this, there's great prayer going up at this time. Well, it says then that, Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. See, Mordecai was committed to intercede, and he wasn't, wasn't going to accept these comforts. He had set his heart and mind to intercede for his nation, and he would not give up. Then Esther called Hasach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction which was given at Shushan that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. And so Mordecai realizes that Queen Esther is in a position to make intercession for the people and he's going to implore her to do that. Not to shirk the task, but to take her role. God has raised her up into royalty in order to make intercession. And God has raised us up as kings and priests. We are the bride, the queen, as it were, of Christ. And God has put us in a position where we can intercede. And we are not to shirk from that responsibility. We we have, uh, uh, as it were, influence in high places. And we are to use that in our intercession. So verse 9 says, So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king, who has not been called or invited by the king, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he might live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And so you can see the danger that Esther's in, because if she just goes in uninvited, she would lose her life. So an intercessor, in a way, has to be willing to lay their life down. And so you can see the pressure on Esther to preserve her life. And more than that, he hasn't called her for 30 days, so it might seem that she's not in his favor. We're going to see later why that was the case, that she hadn't been called for 30 days, which increases the danger she was in. Only if the king held out his scepter, representing he's holding out his mercy to that person, and then that person would lay hold of that scepter, Would her life be spared? So she points out to Mordecai the great danger that she's in. And verse 13 says, uh, verse 12 says, so they told Mordecai Esther's words. Mordecai now told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And these are famous words. And of course, Mordecai was aware of uh, Esther's fear and how she was pulling back. And so he gives her this word of encouragement that God gives to us too, to step up. And not to pull back, not to put your own interests first, but to pray for the good of the whole nation. She was to represent the whole nation before, uh, before the king. And we are to represent our nation before the Lord in intercession. And he says, if you don't do this, then judgment trouble will come on you. But if you step up and do God's will, then God's, God's blessing And abundance will will be for you. If you remain silent, God will still find a way to move through other people. But you will perish because you have not used, you have not done what you ought to do. We must pray for our nation. We must lay our own comfort down and pray for our nation as Esther did. And there's those famous words, who knows whether you have come to a to the kingdom, to a royal position for such a time as this. You see, so he points out, God has actually put you in this position for this very purpose that you can intercede. And God has made you kings and priests for the very purpose that you can intercede for your nation. God has called you for this. You see, we also are a royal priesthood, and we cannot be indifferent it's no good just complaining, oh, the world's going to a mess. You know, they're all lost. We mustn't be indifferent or turn from our responsibilities, as Esther was tempted to, but she didn't. We must be moved with compassion. We must be willing to identify with the rest of God's people and with our nation rather than hide away and just look after ourselves. We must be willing to lay down our own comfort and lives and identify with God's purposes and people and take up that prayer burden. You see, Esther is our example in this. Verse 15, it says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And here we see that fasting and we'll see this in the next two messages also, that fasting intensifies prayer. And so she calls a fast, a three-day fast, upon the whole nation of water, uh, no, no, um, no food, but also no water. Now normally when you fast, you, you would still drink water. But in this case, this is also a waterless fast because of the emergency situation. And... In this case, there's a corporate fast of the whole nation. You know, there are times when a nation or a church fast should fast corporately. We see that in the Bible. And so she commands this corporate fast. You know, when the kings of, and the presidents in the past called a national fast, you know, God always heard and God always moved. You can see it in the history books. And so she says, you fast for three days, as I will. And then she says, and so I will go into the king which is against the law, so she's putting herself in danger, and if I perish, I perish. There she is. She has counted the cost, and she is willing to lay down her life, and that's her greatness. She's willing to carry the burden of her people. She's willing to lay her life down for her people. Verse 17, So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. And then we move into chapter 5, which says, Now it happened on the third day, that Esther put on her royal robes. So this is at the end of the fast. And she put on her royal robes and she stood in the inner court of the king, king's palace, across from the king's house, while, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Now notice, in intercession, we are to be like Esther. We're to enter into God's presence, not as a beggar, but dressed in our royal robes. You see, we must know who we are in Christ, that we are kings and priests in Christ, that we have access to the king, that we are royalty, if you like. And we are to come with boldness and confidence that God will hear us. Isaiah 52 says this beautifully. Awake, awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, holy city. For the, for the uncircumcised and unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. See, in intercession we must loose ourselves from whatever sin or whatever has been holding us down and, and, and let the Lord release us from that, cleanse us from that, and come into his presence with boldness through the blood of Jesus. Psalm 66 says that this is only fitting, this is only appropriate that we are dressed in our royal garments because it says honor and majesty are before him in his presence. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. When we come into God's presence, we need to be dressed right. We need to be dressed with a robe of righteousness, with, with a, a clothed with joy and, and confidence. Uh, dressed in our royal robes. Praise God. Just like Queen Esther was looking at her best. Now, to understand the risk she was taking, you just have to look at chapter 2, verse 19. And it says that at this time, it says, When the virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Do you know what was going on? Guess what? The naughty king was having another beauty contest. The second time he had gathered the virgins from the empire. uh, And he was looking for another, uh, another queen. So you can see how precarious Esther's situation is. Going in uninvited, when the king is actually looking for another queen anyway, um, you can see how risky this was. And this is why she hadn't been invited in for 30 days. He was too preoccupied with his other business. So you can understand the courage that it took for Esther. And then at verse 2, verse 20 says, Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. And so I want you to see that es- Esther was at great risk because she had not revealed that she was Jewish. For now she was safe with this decree because the king didn't know she was Jewish. But in this intercession, she would have to reveal who she really was, and that that would lead to her death if things went the wrong way. So again, it took great courage. Esther 5 verse 2. So it was, when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther, standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. See, God worked and gave her favor. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that it was in his hand. And this signified the fact that he was willing to show her mercy rather than judgment. And then it says, Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And that's what we are to do. When we come to the throne of God, God holds out his scepter of mercy to us. We are not under his judgment. And we are to, hold, we are to believe that and avail ourselves of that mercy. We come, we draw near to him, and we, we take hold of his grace and his mercy that he's extending to us. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. Real, real mercy. And so we see in this story that Esther prevailed in her intercession. And the rest of the story really is just the unfolding of the outcome of that intercession. God isn't mentioned directly in these events. But it's so obvious when you look at the different circumstances and how everything starts to happen that God's invisible hand is at work working everything together for good and for the deliverance of his people and so he actually answered the prayer through through controlling the circumstances that took place but the victory was won through the prayer and fasting of the nation and through Esther's intercession and the course of history was actually changed through her taking her place in intercession and releasing the mercy and grace of the king toward his people. You see, it's in intercession that we learn how to rule and reign with Christ, that we become the rulers God wants us to to be. We are, as it were, like Queen Esther. The church is the queen, the bride, queen. And the church right now reigns, not directly in the political affairs of man, but we do reign through intercession, through our position with Christ at, at his right hand. As Psalm 110 says, we reign in the presence of his enemies. His enemies are not destroyed. And in the story, the, the enemies are not destroyed as such. But nevertheless, the intercession released God's power that caused his people to prevail over the enemies. The enemy was bound and his plans were not able to be fulfilled as a result of that intercession. So her intercession shaped the course of history. And we too can shape the course of history and the history of our nation. And, you know, it says that she prayed uh, for God to turn the heart of the king. And so likewise, we are to pray for kings and all those in authority. And we are to believe that God will turn their hearts. He will influence their hearts. He will direct their hearts, whether knowingly or unknowingly, so that their thoughts and their motives um, and what they do lines up with God's purposes we can do that Satan's trying to influence them but through our intercession we can turn that around on the one hand Haman is trying to influence the king and had they not interceded had they not prayed had Esther not done what she did Haman would have had his way but through the intercession of God's people praise God the enemy's plans were thwarted. And this agrees with Proverbs 21, verse 1. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. That's a tremendous promise. The king, Those in authority in the land, their hearts are in the Lord's hands. And if you pray, you can release the Lord to turn their heart, like turning a river in a new direction. You can turn their heart under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Their heart will be turned Towards fulfilling God's purposes, whether they know they are deliberately doing it or or not, God can overrule even their bad decisions and turn things for good. All right, and so we've seen the examples of Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Daniel, and Esther, and they display the qualities of a true intercession intercessor that we should emulate. They had intimacy with God. They sought the face of God. Two, they had boldness before God. They knew who they were in their relationship with God. Three, they had conviction of God's absolute justice. Four, they were desirous to release mercy even to the undeserving. Five, their main concern was for God's glory. Six, they were dedicated to their task, even if it meant risking their life. Seven, they were willing to identify with their people and the people they interceded for to carry their burden, to be their representative before God. And finally, they were willing to be moved with compassion for the people. And and then finally, they were persistent in their intercession. They didn't give up until that intercession was accomplished. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, we see this given an an example in in Luke 11, this persistence in prayer. Jesus said, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine. In other words, they're identifying with his friend. He wants to help his friend. And he's come to me on his journey and I've got nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. So it seems like the prayer isn't being answered. But does he give up? No. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, because of his importunity, his shameless persistence and insistence, his chutzpah, as the Jews would say, his boldness, his audacity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so Jesus is saying in prayer, we must be persistent. We must push through and in, in intercession because there is resistance. And that's where Ephesians 6 tells us that there's resistance. That's why we must be persistent. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it's all about prayer. In verse 18, he gets finally to the praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. But the, the, the other verses are the kind of attitude and the spiritual posture we must get in before we can pray and intercede properly. And it starts in verse 10. finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Get that into that strength. Lay hold of his strength. Why? So that you can stand. And when you start praying, you're going to find resistance, but you can stand and persist through that prayer. He goes on and says, Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities' powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore." And then he describes the armor. And so he's saying, be strong in the Lord, but get ready to stand. And then you're ready to enter into prayer. Verse 18, praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the spirit. And so you can see this attitude of standing in prayer. Being persistent in prayer, not giving up because you hit some opposition, some resistance from the enemy. You stand until you've fulfilled your intercession, until you've prayed it through. And the final story I want to give you to illustrate this wonderfully is from 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 14 onwards. Elisha had become sick with the illness with which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, "O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Now, there's, this is going to be a prophetic illustration. And Elisha here represents God. He's going to shoot an arrow. An arrow is a weapon of warfare. He's going to shoot this arrow against Syria, who is, was the enemy oppressing them at that time. And as the king was doing it, so Elisha put his hands on the bow as well. And this shows the fact that when we're about to shoot the arrow of prayer in the name of the Lord, then God's hand is with us. His power is with us to work through us, to release his power against the enemy as we pray. And then he said, open the east window. That's the window pointing to Syria. And he opened it, and Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. And he, and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Afek until you've destroyed them. That's the key verse. And he says, "This what we're doing here is a picture of you striking Syria. This arrow that you shoot represents striking Syria. And we shoot arrows of prayer also. And what he's saying is, you must be persistent. You must strike them and strike them again until you have destroyed them. Each time you pray, you push the enemy back. But you must continue until you've got the job done, until you've prayed through. And then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. Why? Because he stopped. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you destroyed it. But now you'll only strike Syria three times. So because he only did it three times, he'll only get three victories against Syria. It seemed unfair. How is he to know how many times he should strike the ground? How did he know it was should be six rather than three? But that's the point. He didn't know. And we don't know how long we have to persist in prayer until the burdens prayed through. And so he should have continued striking the ground until God said to him through the prophet, that's enough. And that would have been about five or six times. The attitude should have been, as God told him in verse 17, continue striking until they are destroyed, until the job is done, until God says, you've prayed through. That's persistence in prayer. You don't know how long it's going to take till you get your breakthrough for God's will in your life, for your ministry to be fulfilled. And so you set yourself to stand in in that position of prayer and you stand until as long as it takes, until it's done. That's the winner's attitude. It applies to all of life, not just to intercession. That's the attitude we have. We stand and we keep interceding, until we have got the victory. I'd like to introduce you to three of my special books on prophecy. This one, The Seven Times of the Gentiles, shows how there's a prophecy that predicts the rebirth of Israel in 1948 and the recapture of Jerusalem in 1967. Then I have one about the imminent invasion of Israel, that speaks how Ezekiel prophesied a dramatic invasion from the north, and that's going to happen any time now, and uh, you need, we need to be ready for that. And then the signs in the heavens, describes all the signs in the heavens in the Bible, and partic- it applies to prophecy too. So you can get these books at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by phoning 1865 Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, 0x3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books, and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, where you can also make a donation to our ministry, or contact us on 01865 515086.